up. Is God not good? Has he been good to you? Amen. Let's go ahead and dive in today. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn in there. I'm just going to go ahead and get started today. I have a question. And it's a message um, that I preached something like it a couple of years ago, but I really felt in my spirit that it was something that is needed for the day and it's needed for the time. And if there's nobody else in this room that needs this, I need it. So if this message isn't for you, just go ahead and close your ears and close your books and let me preach to me because I need this. But if you're like me and you need it as well, I pray that the Lord gives to you today. We can mute the computer line. I think that's what uh, the buzz is in the speakers. Now, I'm not saying this has ever happened to anybody else. And I'm not even saying this has happened to me. But hypothetically, if you're a youth pastor at a church in Alabama and you've just had a, um, a third child born, and that child happens to be a baby girl. Now, I'm not saying it's happened to me hypothetically, right? And you have a youth rally hosted at your church, and your wife and I, are, you're not getting any sleep because you've got two boys in the house, and you have a little girl that isn't sleeping, so mom and dad aren't sleeping. And so we... We go to this church service, and, and the youth pastor of this church um, is in charge of getting all the dramas together, getting the music together, lining up everything else so that the service runs smoothly, the sound and the media. So he's running back and forth, making sure everything's taken care of. All the while, his wife is doing other things, and you're watching these children to make sure that they're where they need to be. And you go through service, and it's a great service, right? And Hypothetically speaking, if service is over and you get invited out to eat with this guest speaker, and because your wife and, and you drove separate cars, you had two boys go with the wife and you were left with the baby. And we got in the car and we left and locked everything up at the church, went to eat at Longhorn. How many people like Longhorn? Amen. And we walk in, and I see everybody seated at the table, and this person, I just gave it away, I said I. And so we, uh, we're at this table, and we're walking to it, and I realize, where's the baby? So I had to walk back out to the car and get Eliza because I was so overwhelmed with everything going on that week, so tired, so stressed out not being able to think straight, see straight, that I did something that I promised I would never do. I left my child inside the car. So I go back out and I get Eliza and we go in and I don't tell anybody, but everybody knows. So they're just all looking at me and then we all laugh and then all the older adults say, well, we've been there and that makes you feel so much better, right? That you left your child in the car. But that's what happens sometimes when we get overwhelmed. We tend to make mistakes and do things that we typically don't do. We get overwhelmed, we get tired, we get stressed, and it's like our body doesn't operate correctly, which is why I'm a huge proponent of taking care of other people. Yes, we should. That is the, that is the Christian faith, to serve others before yourself. But at the same time, you've got to take care of yourself. You have to take care of you because if you don't take care of you, you put your body in a position where health now becomes a problem, where you can't serve others the way you need to because you're not where you need to be. And you get so overwhelmed and stressed, and it's a proven fact that stress 
takes years off of your life. That's why it's so important that we take care of ourselves. So I want to ask you, has anybody else in this room ever felt overwhelmed? And I hear the yeses and the amens and the hands, so I, I know I'm talking to the right crowd, right? And it's that, it's, it's that time where there's not enough time in the day to get everything done. It's You rush out of the house to get some food because your kids have to eat. You get them to school. You have to get to work on time. You're doing two people's jobs and one person's pay. And after work, you rush home. You get your kids. You put them in the car. You go to gymnastics. You've got 10 minutes to make a 20-minute drive across town to get the, the, the next kid to baseball practice. And between all this, you've got to get food. And you just don't know when you're going to get it all done. So you pick up food. And, and you think you're at home. And you've got to rest. And you've got to do laundry. You've got to do dishes. You've got to do all those other things. And it doesn't ever seem like time stops. There's always something that we're doing. And every time I promise you that every time I sit down in my chair to rest, one of the kids, dad, it's, it happens every time. There's no time for rest, but maybe for you, it's not the schedule. Maybe for you, it's money. And maybe it's that you walk to your mailbox and you get that bill you weren't expecting to get. I got one of those this past week. Amen. Praise God. It's that bill you weren't expecting, and, and, and it's that dread of opening up just to see if what's on the inside. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe they've got themselves in a mess, and you've been praying, and you just can't deal with it anymore. Maybe it's a situation that's just overwhelming you and taking all your thoughts. Maybe it's your marriage, and, and, and it, you, you want this loving, caring relationship. It sounds awesome. But to be honest, you'll just settle for one day where you don't argue, right? There, there's just those days where it's just so overwhelming. You just don't know what to do. So I want to tell you a story about these men who kind of felt the same way. And Luke chapter 17 deals with this. And I want to talk to you for just a couple minutes on what to do when you feel overwhelmed. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse number 11. Here's what the word of God says. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, we need you to heal us. Right? Is that what the word says? You've got the Master. You've got the Savior. You've got the Healer. Walking into an area where ten men had leprosy, where they truly needed a healing touch from God. But they were so overwhelmed in their thoughts, they were so overwhelmed in their sickness, in the condition in which they were in, they couldn't even ask for healing. What they said was, Master, have pity on us. So we're introduced to these ten men who, if anybody understood what it felt like to be overwhelmed, it was these ten men because they were being overwhelmed every single day of every single part of their life. They were being overwhelmed with leprosy. It is a disease that doesn't show up for five to ten years after you get it. It's a disease where it attacks the nervous system and you begin to lose all the feeling in your hands and, and your legs and your feet. And, and they become deformed and they swell up to where they rot off of your body. This is what these ten men were dealing with. They were dealing with the disease where they knew they needed healing, and the master came in, they're being overwhelmed, and all they could think to say was, Master, have pity on us. 
Have you ever been in that type of situation where you've just been so tired, so stressed out, so distraught that you just went to Jesus and say, God, just let me make it another day. Help me get through today so I can deal with tomorrow. Help me do this. Help me do that. When what we should be saying is talking to the master of the wind, talking to the master of the wave who controls everything to say, God, I need you in my situation right now. I need you to heal this. I need you to touch this. I need you to be in this. I need you to be all that you promised in your word that you would be. And these men had an opportunity to, to, to do that, yet all they could say was, Master, have pity on us. But I want to tell you something, though. The good news about this story, and it's the first point that I want to make this morning, is in, oh, when you have an overwhelmed spirit, the first thing you have to do was you have to choose to be in the right place. Choose to be in the best place. Now, I want you to think about this. These men could have asked for healing, and they didn't. They asked for pity. However, where were they? They were in the presence of their master. They were in the presence of their king. They were in the presence of their savior. And so when we feel overwhelmed, what we have to do is choose to be in the best place because it is impossible to live right when we're in the wrong place. So we're going to choose the best place. And I'm going to let you in on this little secret here, okay? I talk to a lot of people who feel overwhelmed. Maybe it's their health, their job, their kids. It doesn't matter the circumstance. The pastoral advice that I always speak into their life is the exact same thing, and it's this, okay? Get in church. Get in church regularly. And not just get in church. Be engaged in church. Be, Jesus doesn't get anything out of the preaching. God doesn't get anything out of the Word. You know why? He is the Word. God, the word was with God, right? We know he is the word. What he gets is our offering that we give to him during our time of worship. So we present to him our offering of worship. He presents to us the offering of word. So this has to be an active pursuit of, of worshiping God. We come to church to serve others. We come to church to be in transformational relationships with other um, people. And it, it, when we do that, it begins to change us at our core. When we're feeling overwhelmed, we must be in church. Why is it that when we feel overwhelmed, we feel stressed out, we feel broken down, we tend to cut things out of our life to make room for rest. So we start rationalizing with ourselves. Well, I can't skip work. Got to make money. Got to get my kid to baseball practice because I don't want him to be um, 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 punished for not being there. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Well, hey, why don't we just skip church? And let's just free up the weekend, right, so that we can rest, so, so, so that we can get our health back on track. When in reality, that's what the enemy wants us to do because he knows that when we're in the presence of like-minded believers, that when we're in the presence of an almighty God, that all those chains that held you bondage the week before can be set free in an instant when you're in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he puts it in our mind to get away from the very thing that he knows we should be in. We should be in church. 
We should be here. And it's not just for the relationships. And those are good. And I love people. And I'm glad you're here. You're watching online. I'm glad you're watching online. But it's about being in that transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's only through him that we're saved. It's only through him that we're changed. And it's only through him that we're set free. I can't do any of that. I can just deliver the word the way that he wants me to. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that works through us and in us. I heard this story one time of husband, wife, and children taking a camping trip. They all got out into the canoes and about eight miles in this canoe float. They were having a great time, but the river made a hard turn right. And when it did, the water speed began to pick up. It was a rapid at this point, but there was a problem. You see, the problem was a tree had come down across the river. So there's this partially submerged tree in the middle of a rapid in, in which if you've ever been whitewater rafting, if you've ever been canoeing, if you've ever gone down the river in a tube or anything, you know that's a dangerous situation to come to a tree. So they travel down and they get stuck on this tree and they don't know what to do. But then the current begins to build against the canoe and it slowly starts to rotate until eventually water starts to come over the side and it overwhelms the canoe. So their laughter and their joyous time turns to screaming. Their laughter turned to screaming because they're getting pushed up the log and up the river. And at this point, it's too late to grab the life jacket. They haven't put one on yet. So they, it's too late to grab one now because when they begin to do that, they might just fall. So they're stuck behind this tree. They're trying to get the canoe out from under and it's too late to get the life jacket, the very thing that could save them. And church, I see this too many times where we, we wait until the point where we're about to fall out of the boat till, till we think to grab the very thing that could save us. We wait till it's too late. We wait till that overwhelming breaking point. We wait till to that point where I just can't take it anymore. I don't know what to do, don't know what to say. So we just give up and we quit. We wait until that point to come to the master to say, Lord, save us. And at that point, we're so overwhelmed in our misery that the only thing we can say is, Lord, have pity on us. And that's exactly where these men were. They were at a place where they weren't in the best place to begin with. They hadn't had that relationship where they knew that the master could save them, could heal them. And when they got to that breaking point where it was too late to grab the very thing that could save them, they said, Master, have pity on us. Here's why we can't neglect this time together. Here's why we must be in the best place and be in church. Hebrews chapter 10, if you know it, it says not giving up meeting together. As some are accustomed or in a habit of doing but what should we do? Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, what that tells me is that church attendance isn't just a modern issue. That it was an issue even then to where the scriptures had to be written, stop neglecting the time that we meet together. Because the meeting together could be the very life-saving thing that you need to get back on the boat. So these ten men were sick, everything going wrong. But they had one thing going right. They were in the presence of Jesus. So here's what happens. I want to go back to this original passage. 
Luke chapter 17, it says this. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And I want you to notice these next words because it's really important. And as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. He looked at them. He looked at these men. He looked at the condition. And he said, go show yourself to the priests. I don't want you to miss that because essentially what Jesus was saying was go to church. Go get yourself in the best place. Go get back in the very thing that could cleanse you. Get back to church. And then he could have done this supernatural laying his hands on them and they pass out on the spirit and they were all healed and they began to dance and shout in tongues. No, here's what happened. It said as they went. What's that mean? As they took a step. As they decided in their mind that, hey, I've had enough of this. I'm done with this. The healer said that he can heal me. So I'm going to begin to make a motion towards the very thing that can save me. And as they went, the scripture says they were cleansed. That they were healed. As they went. You know, how many times do we not see the miracles in our life that we're so much praying for because we're not taking the step towards Jesus like we should. We're staying, waiting back in just in just maintain mode, saying, God, help me, God, do this, God, do that. And the whole time he's saying, hey, the rain clouds around the corner. You just need to step over and change your perspective so that you can see it. He's saying your healing's right around the corner, so I just need to take a step, take a step towards that healing, and my perspective changes because it's now not woe is me, but now I'm headed towards my healing. And there's something different when you know what's coming. As they went. So it goes on. And says one of them. When he saw that he was healed. Came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus feet and thanked him. And watch this. And he was a what? He was a Samaritan. What's that mean? He was half Jewish, half non he was the least likely of the ten to recognize the work of God in his life, and yet he was the one who returned to praise God and give thanks for what he had done. And when I read this story, I have questions. And I know you have questions, because my question is, why did only one come back? Ten people just went and saw the priest. Ten people were just cleansed, and only one of them, the least likely of those ten, was the one that came back and gave God thanks. And let me tell you something. I think Jesus had the same questions too because watch what happens next. Jesus asked them, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except, look at what it says, except this man. Then he said to him, watch, Jesus said, rise and go forth your faith has made you well. Now I want to talk about the difference for just a minute. In the first instance, you had ten people. Master, have pity on us. Jesus said, go see the priests, and all of them were cleansed. Cleansed meaning healed. They were healed from their disease. They were healed in their body, but they were not healed in their mindset. They were healed in their body, but they were not healed in their spirit. That's why we can't go a single day without reading the Word of God because we have a spirit problem in this world and we need to read a spirit book to, 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 to solve this spirit problem. 
the word, they were healed in their body, but they were not healed in mind, except the one that came back and gave thanks to God for what he had done. Now, I want you to look at the difference of words here. The, the, the very um, first one says, they were cleansed. This time it says, your faith has made you well, which literally means he was saved in that instance. He had found a relationship with Jesus Christ in that instance. You see, ten of them were healed in their body, but only one of them was healed in their mind. And let me tell you about the difference. I can be healed in my body and still at some point get myself back in the same mess that I was in before. I can be healed in my body and nothing change in my mind. But for this one man, here's what happened. He decided, I'm going to be cleansed and I'm going to go to my master and thank him. So now every circumstance that came up afterwards, everything that happened for the rest of his life, his mind wasn't going to allow him to get into a place where he was going to just soak and complain and have pity on me. But now because he's been saved in his mind, he says, bring it on because my master said I can overcome. Do you see the difference in being healed in body yet not in mind? One of the ten, the least likely of them, said, Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in me. And Jesus said, For your faith has made you well. It has literally saved you. He had already experienced healing in his body, and now he has experienced whole life spiritual healing. So why did the nine not come back? Could they have come back later? I guess we could suppose they did. We could assume, but we can only go by what the word says. And the word doesn't say anything about them coming back. So why did they not? Because what the nine saw was we've been healed. But what the one saw was Jesus healed me. It became personal. What the nine saw was they, they, they saw Jesus gave them exactly what they asked for, but the one said Jesus gave him more than he could ever deserve. The nine saw that we've had our old life restored, but the one saw, he saw that Jesus has given me a new name, and he's given me new life, and he's given me a new meaning about myself. It became personal to him because it was a spiritual problem. How can two people Look at the same thing and see something completely different. It's a matter of perspective. Because now not only do we have to, one, choose the best place, but now, number two, we have to choose the best perspective. Because where you sit determines what you see. Now, think about that statement. Because I can think God wants me to walk through that door. But if there's an obstacle in my way... I don't see anything. I'm seated right in the middle. So where I sit determines what I see. So I know God wants me to get me there, but I can't get there because there's an obstacle in my path. So what I have to do is I have to change my perspective of this being the one and only way. I've got to step over, and now when I step to the side, I can begin to see my way around it because my perspective has changed, and I've realized that this isn't the only way to receive my healing. That if I can change my perspective from woe is me to thank you, Jesus. Woe is me. Thank you, Jesus. 
Woe is me, I can't see it. But praise be to God, there's where he wants me to go. When you change your perspective in the situation, it can change what you see. There's a story about an NBA basketball coach, Monty Williams. He was the assistant coach here in OKC, but now he's with the Suns. They're in the NBA championship, down three games to two. Come on, Suns. I want Monty to win it. But while he was here in OKC, 2016, his wife's vehicle was hit head-on by an SUV, and his wife died. And some of you know the story. Some of you don't, so let me share it. On the day of the, um, a funeral, when he was laying her to rest, he said, or the Oklahoman, sorry, the Oklahoman re, re, uh, uh, reported Ingrid Williams was involved in a car crash Tuesday night in Oklahoma City when she was hit head-on by a car that crossed over the center lane. She was taken to a hospital and died Wednesday evening from injuries suffered in the crash. The driver of the other car was pronounced dead at the scene. It dominated news. Current players, players that have played before, they all spoke on behalf of him. And, and he could have been overwhelmed at that moment. And he could have been overwhelmed by the situation. He could have been overwhelmed and mad at the fact that his wife had passed. But he chose the best perspective. Watch this. So it comes time to lay her to rest. And Monty got up onto the microphone in front of hundreds of people. And he said, it's a pretty tough time. Not just for me, but for all of you as well. I'm mindful of that. This is hard for me, but this will work out. Perspective. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what is going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out for the good of those who trust Him. You can't just quit. You can't give in. And then watch what he says next. Let us not forget there were two people in this situation and that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards them. That man didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It's very hard. This is tough. But I forgive them. Matter of perspective. It's a matter, and do you realize that that type of perspective can free somebody who is bound up in hate? That that type of perspective can free somebody that is holding a grudge and can't seem to get over it? The very fact that I'm willing to get up and say, man, life is tough. This is difficult, but I'm not going to let my emotion control me. My Lord Jesus Christ, I have faith and trust in Him, and I know this will work out for my good. Come on, somebody. How does somebody choose forgiveness in a situation like that? It's because they've chosen the best perspective. Remember, where you sit determines what you see. And when you sit at the foot of the cross, you can't help but see God at work in the midst of your circumstance. Here's what perspective looks like. Isaiah says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, 
declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. We choose my will, no. His will, yes. That is the best perspective. We choose the best place. We choose the best perspective. But let me tell you something. Having the best perspective may not change the situation that you're going through. Having the best perspective might not change the circumstance, but it will change what you see in the circumstance. Instead of seeing all is over, I can't get above ground now, I'm done for. But having the best, per- the best perspective now says, I know Jesus can help me out. I know that he's with me. And I know that the Bible says that I am an overcomer. Choose the best place. Choose the best perspective. Number three, choose the best priorities. Your perspective will determine the priorities that you'll live out in life. I know Christ. I know that you do too. And I understand pretty clear what my priorities are called to be. That I'm going to love and serve God first in, um, first in my life. After that, I'm going to love and serve my wife as Christ served the church. After that, I'm going to love and serve the gift that God has given me and my children. And after that, I'm going to love and serve the people that God's put around me. That are That is the priorities that I have. It's pretty clear that I have those. And sometimes when I was younger, my mom had to remind me of those. If you had a mom like my mom, she had that that look and I hear laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about that you did something and she didn't have to say a word she just had the look (laughs) and when she gave the look you know something was going on and then she'd say something like this Chris I love you but and when the but came in something was about to be said I love you, Chris, but, and then I knew what was coming next was words of wisdom that would last for me for a lifetime. And that's exactly what happens. The Lord looks upon us, and he sees our mess up. He sees when we fail. He sees when we don't do what's right. And he says, Hannah, I love you, but. And he begins to put us back on the right path. Because why? We've put ourselves in the best place in the presence of God. We've changed our perspective to say that greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world, right? I know that I, that I am an overcomer. I know that, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the perspective that God's given me. And now I choose my priorities to be in the right place. So when God comes at me and he says, Chris, I love you, but it's time to listen. Because there's a change he's wanting me to go through so that I can stop getting myself in that place where I feel overwhelmed. And usually when I get to that place, this is what he says. Do you not trust me? Have I not been good? Right? We just sang about the goodness of God. Have I not been good to you? Does the Bible not say that I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever? So if I was good to you then, I'm going to be good to you now and I'll be good to you tomorrow. Well, God, I can't see tomorrow. I don't want you to see tomorrow. I just want you to act in the now because you can only see where you've been. I can see where you're going. So if you'll just trust me, I can help you go. Choose the best priorities. I love Joshua chapter 24. 
Because if there's anything in the Bible that I want you to get, it's this right here. When he says, choose this day who you will serve, and he says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the priority. So what does it look like when God is first and foremost priority in our life? Here's what it should look like. That I'm going to start my week in church. That I don't come to church in order to win God's love. I come to church because he's already won my love. I'm, I'm going to start my week in church. I'm going to start my day in God's word. Because I know the more time I spend with Christ, the more I become like Christ. I'm going to start my week and in my day in prayer. I'm be, and I'm going to give God thanks. And I'm going to start my pay period each month by giving him 10% because I've realized that living on 90% with him is a lot better than living on a 100% without him. That's what it means having your priorities straight. I hear so many times, well, Pastor, I can't tithe this month, and I'm going to get on tithing, so y'all just, y'all just hang right there with me. I know people don't like it when we um, talk about money, but let me tell you something, Pastor, I can't tithe. I've got all these bills. I've been there. I've done that. I bought the shirt. I own the store, okay? I know what it's like, and here's what God says. If you trust me, I'll give you back more than what you ever thought or imagined. Just trust me. Get your priorities back where they should. Get in the best place. Change your perspective. Change your priorities. Here's the thing. And I'm going to skip some of this last part. Amen. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Through our circumstances. there's a different type of overwhelm that I want you to be. You say, Pastor, you want me to be overwhelmed? Yes. I want you to be overwhelmed with his love. I want you to be overwhelmed by his grace. I want you to be overwhelmed by the peace. I want you to be overwhelmed by the miracles that he can give. I want you to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. I want you to be overwhelmed by the strength that he gives when you can't seem to go on another day. I want you to be overwhelmed with the very presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to be overwhelmed with things of this world, with things of this life. Because the material things of this world don't matter. What matters is, do you know Jesus? Is he first in your life? Have you given him every area of your life? Have you surrendered yourself to him? Have you opened up that one part of your heart that seems to be locked up? And said, God, here's the key. Throw it away. It's yours. Have we done that? Because material things don't matter. But your relationship with Christ does. When you get overwhelmed. Get overwhelmed with God. When you get overwhelmed by life. Get overwhelmed with God. When you get overwhelmed through circumstances. Get overwhelmed with God. When you get overwhelmed by the situation. Get overwhelmed with God. God, I just don't know what to do. Then sit in His presence. In His presence, there is joy, right? Beyond all measure. Come on. This isn't a self-help sermon on how not to get overwhelmed. You're going to get overwhelmed. That's life. But when you do, find God. 
the band would come. You're here today, you're overwhelmed with life. You're overwhelmed by a situation out of your control. You're overwhelmed with issues with your health that you don't understand. You're overwhelmed with a relative you just don't know what to do. You're overwhelmed with a marriage you just want God to mend. 